in his career, and it's just now getting good started, he's worked with over 3,000 people with the borderline personality disorder. And here's what Dr. Heller says. He says that what I do is I not only recommend, I prescribe that they read positive thinking books, that they listen to positive thinking tapes, that their treatment will never be complete until they do those things. They ought to read at least 15 minutes a day and listen to those tapes all the time. Welcome to The Ziegler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today we hear a two-minute message from Zig Ziegler, where he shares a primary therapy that a renowned counselor uses, a guy he knows, with people who have borderline personality disorder. And it's a prescriptive diet of positive thinking messages. True story. Uh, so Dig, Zig gets into that and you'll want to hear his story from that. But from that message, I then went and asked on Facebook at my agent K Miller page, where you're welcome to friend me and join in the conversation. I ask what new knowledge has literally changed your way of thinking in the past year? Incredible responses uh, that, that my co-host Michelle Prince and I then talked through is really, really rich discussion. Okay, folks, now I bring you Zig Ziglar. I'm now going to get into something that I think is so important because it does deal with your health. And I got to tell you, Dr. Leland Hiller, who's a good friend of mine from Okeechobee, Florida, he's written a book called Life on the Border. Dr. Hiller points out some things that to me are absolutely fascinating. The borderline personality disorder has to do with something that is wrong with the limbic system. It also is an emotional problem. I work with a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists. They tell me across the board, they will never work with more than one or two people who have this particular disorder. It is a medical problem and an emotional problem. They're in hills and valleys all of the time, and they simply are so difficult to work with, one or two is about the maximum that they can handle. In his career, and it's just now getting good started, he's worked with over 3,000 people with the borderline personality disorder. And here's what Dr. Heller says. He says that what I do is I not only recommend, I prescribe that they read positive thinking books, that they listen to positive thinking tapes, that their treatment will never be complete until they do those things. They ought to read at least 15 minutes a day and listen to those tapes all the time. Then he gets to the nitty-gritty, the part I like the best. He says, now Zig's my favorite. (laughs) He said he uses common sense, And brings it in an entertaining way so that the people will listen and then listen again. And the bottom line is that, ladies and gentlemen, the results have been spectacular. Now, I'm not in medicine. I'm not a doctor. But that's a story that you need to hear. Okay, friends. So from that message, we asked the question, what new knowledge has literally changed your way of thinking in the past year? Here now, Michelle Prince and I will talk through some of the amazing responses. Okay, so Michelle, from Zig's clip, as he's talking about just the power of the positive messages, of course, and the things that we tell ourselves, 
I asked this question on the Facebook page. What new knowledge has literally changed your way of thinking in the past year? And of course, incredible comments. Um, I didn't really group them this time. They're all fairly standalone. I think I did put a couple together, but you know, as, as always, Michelle, I mean, just people brought out stuff that would never have occurred to me. So, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful stuff here. Um, okay. Well, Hey, I'll start off Jerry. He says, after four years of burnout from working too many hours for too long, I discovered the importance of self care. Instead of exhausting myself in the service of others, I take time to charge my batteries and, and a more effective in every area of life. You know, Michelle, I mean, that is just a consistent message that we get from everybody we interview on here um, that you would think that would become this movement now. And yet I still think that we as a culture, that there's still something that maybe, even though we would look at that and say, oh yeah, you've got to do that. You can't pour out what you don't have in you, but it still feels, I don't, I don't know. Does it still come off feeling a little selfish at the get go? I think so, for sure. I mean, we are all programmed to to know that it's important to serve other people, take care of our family, your friends, your community. So to stop and take care of yourself sometimes feels a little selfish. But, you know, I always think of that that uh, analogy on the airplane, you know, where the stewardess says, in case of an emergency, if the if oh, right. cabin loses pressure, you know, who do you put the oxygen mask on first, you or the, the person in need of help? And they, they say always to put it on yourself first because you can't really be any help to anybody if you don't take care of yourself first. So, but it's not that it's, we know those things, but sometimes it's still hard. And I think too, sometimes it's a good excuse to not take care of ourselves is to always, you know, put it off on somebody else. But sometimes we don't take care of ourselves because we don't believe we deserve to be taken care of. Gosh, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up, though, because it almost makes you feel like, yeah, you can use it as a crutch to say mm-hmm. I'm so worn out instead of, no, I've taken care of myself. I'm good to go. It almost puts you on the hook to, you know, now you got to make things happen, you know, and, <laughs> and be there. That's interesting. Take I hadn't thought about that. OK, good, good, good note on that one. Well, Steve here says uh, he says that he says that what he's learned is that I'm OK right now. Mm. suddenly there isn't a carrot leading me into places I don't have to go. My motivation and ambition have been completely changed since accepting that I'm valuable and worthy just the way I am today. Mm. Uh, Again, really great, but it almost, I mean, here we are in the personal development world and the point seems to be every day I should be bettering myself, right? But Mm. does that mean that I'm not okay with who I am today? Isn't there some tension there? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> there definitely is. And I'm not sure, I'm not really sure the answer about on how to overcome that other than, you know, it's just a daily re-renewing, re- daily just refocusing on, on ourselves, what's important, you know, uh, who we were created to be and, and how we can let the best of ourselves come out. But it's not an easy thing to do. And, and so it's interesting that all of these comments are, are echoing that same, everybody has the same thought on that. Yeah. It almost, it almost brings up that issue of, you know, gosh, should I be, should I be content? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But does that mean that I'm satisfied? I'm done. Well, Mm -hmm. no, there's more I want to do, but yeah, to me, it does speak somewhat of, at least for myself, there's tension in there. Uh, Okay. Well, Gemma says, uh, what she's learned is working with a team of different backgrounds and motivations I learned each one has something of value to give to someone else, oftentimes without being aware of that strength, of that strength. 
So citing the value of being with a team of different backgrounds and motivations, I guess, as opposed to being frustrated at the differing opinions and motivators. You know, I just did an interview with Ben Hardy, uh, literally just an hour ago. And he talked about one of the things when I asked him about the mental spoke on the Ziegler wheel of life that he did, that he makes an effort to be in groups where he's the dumbest person in the room (laughs) and, and, and people with different backgrounds, different experiences that stretch him. What a great testimony because yeah, I tend to naturally want to gravitate towards people that think like I do that confirm the way I am and it feels comfortable. So here's testimony to a different way. You know, I totally agree with that. I mean, you do want to be surrounded by people who know more so that you can grow more and reach further. And, and, and sometimes it's easier to just stay where you are, but the most successful people, it sounds like from your interview, uh, he agrees that the Mm -hmm. most successful people are, they're pushing themselves beyond what they think they're capable of. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, that new knowledge, the change of thinking that you posted about this question, it's, you don't know what you don't know until you get around other people who know something you don't know. (laughs) So unless you force yourself out of your comfort zone and go and be a part of groups or organizations or associations that are thinking differently than you, you don't know that there's any other way. That's true. And that that makes me think, yeah, it's an intentional thing because we naturally do gravitate towards the people that think like us. And again, it's that, but this doesn't uh, kind of back to the, of course, the Ziegler-esque quote of you are the sum of the five people you hang around most obviously you want to be with positive people, forward thinking people, but to make the effort to be with people who think differently, I'm going to have to think on that. I don't know if I do that. Well, enough. let's just be honest. <laughs> I don't do that enough. I don't do that enough. Um, okay. So Dan here, he just says two chairs. Mm. That's all he said. What made him think there? You and I know what that is for yes. those who don't. That is Bob Bodine. He wrote the book two chairs. And so I'll reference that we interviewed him. It was show 415 here on the Ziggler, uh, on the Ziggler show. And it's two chairs. It is you and the other chair is for God. And uh, so, again, you, you know this. Do you have an experience here, Michelle, mm-hmm. just uh, of, of going through the book and such? Oh, my goodness, yes. In fact, I had, had messaged Bob about this one day when this happened. Long story short, I went to the beach, and I happened to be on the beach by myself one day. So I rented a, a beach chair, an umbrella, just for the intention of going and sitting and planning and reading and praying and all that stuff. And I get there, and there's two chairs and an umbrella. And I say to the oh, man, great. I said, well, no, I, I only rented one because I didn't want to pay for two. And he said, well, I guess I can take the second one away. And in that moment, I remembered Bob's book and I remembered the two chairs and I said, no, actually go ahead and leave it. And I had that, I had the most amazing afternoon of just me and, and God talking. And and so the whole two chairs concept that, you know, you're not alone and that you can get counsel even from, you know, from the, the creator of the universe. And it's just pretty incredible. And I love his book. It is. Well, I got to testify. My dad, Dan Miller, he, he mentioned Bob. It's been in recent months. And he says, are you aware what's happened with two chairs with a book? I said, no, what? He says, it's just really gone, gone crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. people are picking it up and he, he keeps hearing about it from all these influential people. Um, so again, folks, the book, two chairs, you can go find it. The number two, two chairs, the secret that changes everything. Bob uh, Bodine, who, if you don't know him, I think the quote on him is he's one of the most influential people in sports you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. So he's big in, uh, in sports. I think college ball 
every sport specifically. Every sport. But he, he, yeah, no, he actually does placements for the most prominent coaches, owners, you name it, in, in the sports world. There you go. Well, so great testimony. Thanks for, for posting that, Dan. Uh, Kimberly says, uh, you know, this, this kind of goes along with, um, with somebody who's talked about, or with Gemma, who talked about being different, different back people with different backgrounds. Kimberly says, this will seem obvious, but here goes after moving from a very large city, Indianapolis to a small Appalachian town. I now fully understand that just because someone does something different, it doesn't mean they are wrong. Uh, you know, that is pretty basic but it is it's a lesson for all of us we obviously gravitate towards those things that we think are right and true and good and when somebody does it differently i think our first inclination is fallen humans is to think that that's wrong instead of looking and giving it value or maybe it's just me michelle no it's not just you i i don't know if i said it another time on one of our shows but something that my sixth grade history teacher said has stuck with me my whole life and that is different strokes for different folks mm. and it's just a simple way of saying just because it it just because somebody is different doesn't mean they're wrong it just means yeah. that we we just have different backgrounds and really everybody's truth is not necessarily truth it's based on the environment you were brought up and it's based on all you know but it doesn't mean that it's actually truth. And so I feel like if we go through life and just realize that, that, you know what, I don't really understand where you're coming from, but you, you know, you have a valid reason for feeling that way. And we're not called to understand, but we are called to love people. So Hmm. regardless of if we understand where they're coming from. Oh, there's, that's, that's the best statement of the show right there. (laughs) Uh, Well, Tim here says, he says for him, our cancer journey and the treatment path we are on and letting go, letting go that life is not fair. We have limited number of breaths and God's plan and will wins. I don't know if I will have my wife for a few more weeks or months or years, but a bus can take me out too. So my biggest takeaway, God chose you and I, and he quotes for such a time as this, which comes out of the Bible out of Psalms one eighteen, verse 24. That's a big learning. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What can change your perspective more than when your life is on the line and you have a, a spouse in this instance who you could lose at any time. And we, we hear those stories about how it puts it in perspective, but I think it's really hard to take that much gravity into the everyday. We should, mm-hmm. but my gosh, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, and I feel for, for him, for having to, you know, be going through this for anybody going through this. Um, I guess the only blessing in all that is, is that there's the the knowing, right. So that, you know, to enjoy every moment. Um, my husband's mother was killed in a tragic car accident. And so we never had that, that moment to, to say what we would want to say, but both sides of the coin are not an easy, um, situation. But I, I love though that his, his perspective and you're right. It is, you know, it's not necessarily the, the, the information you, you hope to get, but it changes your perspective and you just kind of move on. You move, you, it's a new normal. It's a new life. It's a new normal. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's Tim, just, thank uh, you. Yes. Yeah, thank that's, you for sharing that. And we'll be praying for your wife. Yes. Well, Marvin says, this is interesting. He says it was for him, it was discovering the power of coaching. Uh, the assumption that people and the understanding that people don't usually want the answer just given to them, but drawn out of them through intense listening and asking powerful questions. 
I mean, Michelle, you have, I, I know that you've received coaching, but you do a lot of coaching. And that's an interesting statement that I think, yeah, rings so true that as a coach, we're not there to just give somebody the answer, but to help lead them towards the answer. I, I realize that in a roundabout way and just as being a paid coach and realizing that I often, I, I, there's no way I could know their truth. I can just ask good questions so that they can bring it up and they give, they give both of us the aha moment, but it's not my job. I, I got to admit when I first started, I thought that that was the pressure. They are paying. I just got $2,000 for this amount of hours. I got to give them the answer. And which, you know, of course put me in a bad way, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, what a great way for him to put it, that we're to draw that answer out of them. That's so true. It's hard sometimes as a coach to not give your opinion because you're like you just said, just because you feel something doesn't mean it's right for that person. But the key and in, in a, a good effective coach is somebody that's going to motivate you based on the answers that you're that they're getting that they're because if you know it's just like anything in life if somebody tells you to do it you're more likely not to do it <laughs> but if you come up with the solution and the answer to your own problem you're more likely to stick with it yeah and that's Gosh. the value of a coach just to help you do that absolutely you know and this is interesting i should have paired this with it because the next one is really uh relevant for just what we talk about kyle he says what he learned is that i'm not responsible for making everyone happy and, and, and to grow I can only help create the environment and facilitate growth. He says, I heard that from one of your recent guests. Uh, I apologize for not being astute enough to come up with who that was. We have a lot of great guests who <laughs> say, say a lot of great things, but that's, that is again, yeah, right there in the, in the, well, Michelle, how often, I don't think a show goes by anymore that you and I do together that we don't talk about our shared issue of being people pleasers <laughs> and that feeling that feeling of, I even burnt out being a host in my home for a while because I felt like I had to be the host yeah. with the most. I had to be Ricardo Montalban <laughs> and to make everybody happy and grow. And realize, oh my gosh, just create the environment. And, and it really was, it, it was a big shift for me to bring that on. So Kyle, what you say is, uh, gosh, that's a huge lesson for me. It is true. And I'm laughing because we, we do bring that up, but you know, sometimes people pleasing is because we do want to make other people feel comfortable. Sure. You know, thinking back to when I first started coaching, I my first coaching client that I had, I was frustrated, very, very frustrated. And I remember sharing this with a friend that, you know, they're just, you know, they're not doing what I'm telling them to do. And it and they said to me, but that but that is not what a coach does. A coach doesn't tell someone what to do, you know, and expects them to do it. A coach is there to to guide them. But one of my biggest frustrations was the thought that, well, but if I say to do this, if I know this will solve your problem and they don't do it, that is sometimes, that's a frustration in coaching. It's kind of like in parenting. When you know what's best for your kid and they still won't do it, it's frustrating. Um, But, but you have to let go of that and you have to keep, you have to do it anyway and hope that what they hear will take root. But your kids, your coaching clients, they may or may not. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And, and that just, uh, you made me think about just with, with parent or with, as a parent with my kids, but yeah, also if you're, if you're a hired coach, you feel like you need to keep them from the mistake, keep them from mm-hmm. uh, any damage. And yet sometimes it's just, they need that. We all need to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Hey, in that aspect of, of coaching and business, Tony says, Uh, She learned the knowledge of what it takes to really run a business and make some serious decisions. I used to think that as the leader, 
You need everyone's input to make decisions. However, sometimes you got to take a step back, look at the overall goal and direction and just move forward. Not everyone will agree, uh, but that's an okay thing. You know, it's interesting to me because as a leader, her feeling you need to, you need everyone's input to make decisions. I think I tend to fall on the other side where I don't take in as much. And I tend to want to make the decision autonomously. Well, again, we're back into tension, uh, you know, running a business, we do have so many decisions to make and we need to seek counsel. Yet, as she says, sometimes we just have to make the decision. You know, it's funny. Most of us are in business because we don't want somebody else making decisions for us. And yet, Michelle, how many people, if we had a raise of hands, if we had everybody in the audience in front of us, sometimes I found out, oh my gosh, I'm just, can I just not make another decision yeah. today? I'm tired of it. Don't want anybody else to make any for, any for me, but you get tired of it. It's that control. You want it, but then you want to release it because you have too much of it, you know? Yes. And too much responsibility. Yes. Yeah, You know, running a business, being a leader is one of the hardest things ever. And, and maybe for you, Kevin, it comes natural to where, like you said, that you tend to just make decisions without getting everyone else's involvement. You know, I didn't have a business up until... Um, I don't know, almost 10 years ago. And I was always in sales. So I was always mm. relying on a boss or management to basically tell me what to do. So that shift for me into all of a sudden having to make all the decisions was tough for me initially. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a personality thing. But, 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 but what I did realize is that's where I needed some help. And that's when I started reading books. And it's when I started attending seminars and started finding coaches that could help me be a better business owner. Um, not just one, cause you can't, you know, you can't help anybody if you can't, if you're not in business, <laughs> you know, you need, you need to be successful in business in order to make a difference. That's true. Well, and again, everything has, it's, you know, two sides of the coin and my, my learning is, is often the opposite. A lot of times I run into trouble when I don't be, when I'm not collaborative, when I don't see the counsel of those mm -hmm. on my team, I'm helped right now in a business never where I have literally an equal 50, 50 partner. And so all of a sudden I find myself at a place for the first time where, gosh, I'm really not allowed to make an autonomous decision. <laughs> so for me, for me, that's good. I want to personally invite you to the Elevating Entrepreneurs Summit. This month, my friend Deb Johnstone has put together a free online event with over 25 experts, including me, to help entrepreneurs experience more time freedom and more money freedom. There's no end of information on entrepreneurship available. I'm well aware of that, which is why I agreed to be a part of this event and am promoting it. Instead of hearing one person's take on entrepreneurial success that fits them, but may not fit you, Deb has compiled 25 very successful entrepreneurs representing different ages, genders, background products and services, even nationalities as Deb hails from Australia. But each expert is going to give their high level counsel on things like the unconscious patterns that keep us stuck and how to stop those patterns. We'll talk about our most successful marketing, public relations, and sales strategies. We'll share our favorite tools and overall just focus on how to have a successful, consistent business that doesn't overtake your life. It just helps support the lifestyle you believe is best for you. That's why most people become entrepreneurs. So the event happens March 12th. It is free and all 25 expert entrepreneurs were required to provide a highly valuable and free gift to all attendees. So register now, go to zigshow.com slash elevate. That's zigshow.com slash elevate. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, okay. So here, here, Elise says, she says, um, uh, 
A thing that stuck out from her that she's learned in the past year is the change from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And she first heard that from Michael Hyatt. Uh, He talked about that. Uh, And that, folks, we interviewed Michael in uh, show 516 and 517. 516 was the main one, 517, the habit show. And yes, he talks a lot about that, but that scarcity mindset versus an abundant mindset. I grew up with a lot of that teaching, Michelle, and I tend to just naturally think, oh, I do that. And yet I'll so often find myself in a certain area because I do that in a great way in some aspects of my life. Mm -hmm. And then over here, I'll find a place, you know, like in business. Oh, man, I can be that. Now, give me my relationship, like, you know, some of the intimate relationships in your life. And I'll find myself thinking from a scarcity mindset. I think it's a danger for all of us. It definitely is. And this is something that, you know, I struggled with as well. And I, and I, my parents struggled with and their parents. And so a lot of times these are the things that get passed down generation to generation. And it's just, it's because that's all they knew and and that's how they pass it on. But scarcity is more than just money. That's for sure. Um, And feeling like there's not enough to go around. There was this great analogy when I was uh, pregnant with my second son, Tyler, my oldest son, he was only three, but he said to me at one point, he was, he was basically not happy that he had another brother coming because <laughs> yeah. he felt like that was going to take my love away from him. Yeah. And somebody put it this way, and it just kind of goes along the lines of scarcity versus abundance, said that, you know, do an analogy where imagine that you have three candles and in the center, the candle is lit and that is mom, right? Um, And on this candle is my oldest son. And so I take my love and my candle and then I I pass it over to, to my oldest and his candle is lit and my candle is lit and we're full of love. Well, but then now my second child is coming and so I take my flame again and now I do it to the other candle and when all three are lit you see that all three are they have the same amount of love nobody lost any of their love or their flame because I gave some more to somebody else and so there's that abundance um, that's just for me I'm very visual so that's how I kind of picture abundance you know there's always more to go around and just because some you know you somebody takes something that you have or just because another person comes into your space and competitor or something doesn't mean it takes away. It just means that there's more to go around. I love the analogy. Uh, I lived that out when we had our first couple kids and I experienced parental love. That's what I thought. Gosh, if we have more kids, it's going to take away from, and yeah. somebody gave me that message. And of course, nine kids later, I've, I've learned <laughs> that. It's, it's funny. You give that analogy of the candles. Cause we've had that happen. It's always a funny thing on birthdays because mm-hmm. you know you have a kid and he's 12 years old. And now, now the kids are, you know, participate in making their cakes or a yeah. sibling will make it for them. And a lot of times they'll put all the candles together and you start lighting a couple of them. And then all of a sudden about the fifth or sixth month, you get this torch. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I thought you were going. I love that. It's just love out of control. So I thank you for bringing that up. That, that the aspect of scarcity goes beyond money to time mm-hmm. and love. And mm-hmm. ah, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Elise. Um, here is one Michelle that I, I combined a couple. Nate says, Um, He learned the blessing of blessing others. Do not withhold speaking a compliment or doing a kindness, especially to strangers. Most deeds cause uh, cost nothing, but to have a world of impact, speak a kind word, hold the door, prefer another before self. Okay. Well then Beth, check this out. She writes, be nice to people regardless of how it is received because my interpretation of their response isn't always accurate. And even if it is accurate, my being nice regardless and giving the benefit of the doubt makes me a happier person. 
Mm. Michelle, that right there has been, if I look over the past 12 months, that message has really, I just, just kind of turned my paradigm upside down. And it was a show 464 that we did with Shanti Feldhahn. She wrote mm-hmm. the book, the kindness challenge and her talk about that, my perspective on kindness and everything she's writing initially, I'm like, oh, well, of course, you know, it's the better thing to do, right? It's the mm-hmm. righteous thing to do, do under others as you would have them do under you, but you be kind, but it was still with reciprocity in mind. And now we can't, well, she speaks of course, directly to that. And then did just what Beth talked about here. She says, but what if it doesn't matter to the other person? What if it doesn't change them? What if they don't even know you're trying to be kind to them and do these acts? Because she has out a specific a structure of taking somebody maybe that you struggle with. And here's literally a challenge. Here is a, a structure and a strategy for being kind to them. But then she, she comes and wows you with, but the point though is not just for what it will do to them. Cause it may do nothing. What if it doesn't that the biggest benefit is what it does for you. Mm. And it's just, it wasn't something that I had ever thought about. It wasn't. And, and I, it comes up in conversation after conversation. I just had that same conversation with one of my boys this weekend who was not being as kind as I thought he should be to <laughs> one of his younger siblings. And I said, buddy, you're hurting yourself. Yeah. It's a powerful message. And so Beth, for you to bring that up, that you've actually experienced that as a, it's a great testimony to all of us. Wow. That is so, that is a great point because you're right. We're, we're raised to, to be kind, you know, be nice to people and all that um, in, in hopes that they'll be nice to you, right? Treat people mm-hmm. the way you want to be mm-hmm. treated. But you're right to think of it from that other perspective of what it does to you, how it fills you up. I actually, as you were talking, I was thinking almost from the opposite. And that was still go ahead and speak to these people with kindness. And because you don't know when, maybe that not at that moment, but you don't know when that seed will be accepted. You know, sometimes if you think back to what made impact on you in your life, sometimes it wasn't the things people said directly to you. It might have been indirect or it may have been in passing, but you, you, maybe it didn't make sense to you at the time, but then later you remembered it and you're like, huh, you know what? That person, when I was 10 years old said this about me and I'm going to believe it now. I wasn't ready to believe it then or, um, was nice to me. You never know because you, I I just always try to think of, we don't really know what people are going through and one kind word could literally set them on a totally different path because maybe it's the only kind word they heard all day or all week or all year. I think I love that, Michelle. It, it reminds me of you're planting seeds. You have no idea mm-hmm. when it'll sprout, how it'll sprout. So gosh, great. Yeah. Thank you for, for pulling that out. Well, Jacqueline here says, um, what is spoken to her is get getting closer to what you fear and you lose that fear. And she cites author and boss camp. Um, can't remember Anne's book. Uh, we have it in my house. It's like the thousand thousand thanks something, uh, but it's about gratitude and, and thanks. But, uh, she says, seriously, it's seriously so simple yet so profound. I have seen the truth that as I step out and trust God and do the thing I feared for so long that it no longer has its grip on me. This particular, her particular fear was public speaking. Mm. And I'm amazed to say how much I want to do it and get better at that. You have so many people that were involved with here through Ziegler who have done uh, Toastmasters mm-hmm. uh, to get better. And so I love the testimonials of people who say, I didn't want to do public speaking. And now I still don't necessarily want to do that. I did it to help me and help my self confidence. And 
I've, I've never heard a bad testimony. I mean, anybody who has gone after that has said what it did for me, for my self-confidence, mm-hmm. for my communication skills. And I'm not doing an ad for Toastmasters, but just that thing of looking at those things that we fear. Public speaking tends to be one of the, I think, one of the main ones. And, and you know, you deal in that realm so much, Michelle, with literally public speaking and with, you know, with writers and authors and people who want to bring forth a message. But having that message inside you, And getting it out is a fearful thing. It is very fearful because you don't really know how it's going to be received. And I think that's where where, where speakers, for me personally, where I, because I started with that same fear of like, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? Are they going to like what I say? Are they going to judge me? Are they looking at my outfit? (laughs) And guess what? They are. (laughs) But then you get to the point where it's like, well, you know what though? But I'm not, this isn't about me. Before I speak, I always, I I say a little prayer actually, but I, I always you know, Lord, don't let make this be about me. Let it be about you and, and speak through me kind of thing. And when we take that, um, worry, fear, and, and usually it's because we're fear of being judged. When you take that away and just say, you know what, I am here to serve. And if, if the best way to serve is to speak in front of a room of people, then I'm going to do it. But I don't think the fear ever really goes away. It's just more of a confidence that, you know what, I, I'm still going to be nervous, but I, I'm, I'm doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. And therefore, you know, it'll be okay. Uh, hey, this one speaks to me. I, here's the admission. I, I am not comfortable pu- doing public speaking. I'm just not. Really? Never have been. No, I, I can do this kind of thing all day long. Um, I, I love Q&A, doing that from a stage. But when it's me and you're supposed to be up there and give a, a presentation, it's just not a comfortable area for Yet. me. I always say yet, yet because maybe it's your time is to come. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Well, but to what you said, I just, I do it anyway. So that's right. Uh, well, he, I got two more really good ones here and Eric, this is short and sweet. He says, understanding the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Mm. It's pretty simplistic, Michelle, but you know, I, I think that I think a lot of us think of ourselves as having a growth mindset. My gosh, here we are, you know, uh, at the Ziegler show, everybody's listening. I mean, by proxy, you obviously, everybody does have some aspect of a growth mindset. I think, and I'll throw this at you. I think that, that what I've had to, to realize is even in my, within my growth mindset, I am, I'm in there trying to grow amongst a lot of fixed mindsets, mm-hmm. a, a lot of, a lot of things there. And I, that's, that's a day to day, that's a day to day journey. It uh, is. Well, because yeah. your fixed mindset is really just the beliefs that you hold on to, yes. right? And some of our yes. beliefs service and some of them don't. But, you know, especially thinking like, well, you know, my parents were always this way, therefore I'll always be this way. Or, you know, mm. uh, I'll always struggle or get out, never get out of debt. All those, you don't, you, even though you're trying to get out of debt, it's almost like those mindsets hold you back without you even knowing it. So that's where I, why I believe programs like this and any kind of books or, or, uh, programs that will develop your mind, personal development is so powerful because we are so stuck in our ways. But if we want to achieve more, be more then we, we gotta, we have to be reminded daily that that's doesn't have to stay that way. Gosh, yeah, it, it's, it's good, Michelle. I, I've just, I've really had to look at that with myself and now look at that thing and, and kind of give a red flag when I hear something and I want to discount it or refute it mm-hmm. to stop and just, just consider it. Just can my wife always say, Hey, just, you know, eat the fish, spit out the bones. I mean, there's probably some <laughs> little bit of truth. So, uh, that's, that's a daily journey. 
Um, sure, sure is. <laughs> well, last one here, and it's one that I love. Graham, uh, he says, I really have impre- embraced the Sidcha habit that Joshua Spodek introduced in one of our shows. It's helped me address the difficult items that need to get done. Uh, but previous to Sidcha, I would look over and procrastinate on them. Okay, so that's show 484. We did it. It was It's Joshua Spodek, S-P-O-S-P-O. D-E-K. So he is an adjunct professor at NYU. He's an astrophysicist. Uh, He's done an incredible amount of things, but he has a book called Leadership Step by Step. But our interview with him primarily focused almost solely on Sitcha. So just as I testified to Shanti Feldhahn and the message that, that impacted me so much from her kindness challenge, this over the past year has been another primary one, Michelle, probably a week, uh, does a week doesn't go by that. I don't bring it up because I've shared it with so many people that's become a part of our vernacular. So SIDCHA stands for self-imposed daily challenging, uh, habit. Gosh, what is it? I I'm missing it. Self-imposed daily challenging, healthy activity, sorry, healthy activity. That's what it is. And I won't go through it all here, but just like Shanti talked about being kind to others that were the primary beneficiary that he's talking about those daily challenging, healthy activities that we impose on us that we don't have to do. And he mm. was, that's, that was a key. I mean, the things of going to our job, taking our kids to school, uh, taking a shower, those are have tos. We don't, and he's saying, you don't really get the benefit of what he's talking about from those. It's the things that we do that we do not have to do. It's getting up early, doing your devotions, journaling, mm-hmm. uh, exercising, meditating, uh, whatever it is, the things that you don't have to do. And, but here's the, here's the catch. Cause I was still, again, I was focused on what is the end result mm-hmm. of that. And he's saying that no, those things in and of themselves, the end results, those are great. But the bigger benefit is what it does to us, to our character of, of the daily doing those things, healthy things that we do not have to do. Those are bigger than the sum of all the, all the outcomes of each of those different things. Cause I'm thinking about, well, I get up and exercise every day so that I will be healthy, strong, fit, have big muscles, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And he's saying, no, no, the, 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 that's great. But the bigger benefit is what you achieve by getting up every day and doing those things that you don't have to do. The mm-hmm. sum of that is far greater. And he even cites a specific story of a guy who was trying to start or wanted to start a business, never did, finally went, paid a coach, and the coach finally said, I'll solve your problem. Because the guy had gone, he had a great idea, brilliant idea, and he'd gone years without actually doing it. And the coach said, we'll solve it. He says, I want you to go home for the next week. I want you to take a cold shower every morning. I said, seriously, I'm paying for this? Uh, and he goes home and does it, and, or tries to, endeavors to. The first morning, gets up, goes to do it, and right away, boom. He's thinking, I don't want to do this. It's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Can I put it off? Whatever. And, and that, and that was the point. He said, this is what I do is there's always a reason not to. And so he forced himself to do it. And the story goes on. And after, I don't know, you know, a week, two weeks, a month, whatever, um, of doing that exercise of doing something hard, he did not have to do. He did his business. He launched his business. Yada, yada. And again, it's just such a powerful uh, perspective that is so, at least in my world that I would think is pretty profound 
I just did not understand that. Mm -mm. Uh, Well, and it's kind of like it's just you realize the power of procrastination, first of all, what's holding you back, but that you mm -hmm. literally do hold the key that if you just do these little things. And I, you know, that whole cold shower thing, I don't know that I could do a cold shower every morning, but... But there have been times when I have forced myself to do something only because I knew it was good for me. Maybe I had yeah. something to eat. Or, and you do feel better about you, yourself. You feel more confident. You feel like, you know what? If I could do that, then I can do this. Yeah. So it's, it's just that starting point and whatever it takes for you uh, to, to get that momentum going, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me back in my pro cycling days and I had somebody talk about, you know, every time you quit a race, it just it makes it that much easier to do it again. And man, it just impacted me at the time. It was something I needed to hear. And I took that even into my training that if today's mm. training was this many hill intervals or hill repeats, that if I allowed myself to quit, I was still training my brain to allow me to quit and make it. And I just, I, I got a healthy fear of that, I, yeah. I think. So yeah, this along with it, oh, gosh, again, folks, thank you. These are, uh, this is, I think these are the most fun shows to do with you, Michelle, just, uh, to take these, they, they open up different avenues that, I can't imagine we'd come up with otherwise. I can't either. And But what I love about it is that how real everyone is. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. people are people are people. We're all mm-hmm. kind of on the same journey. And that's why we need each other, you know, to help one another and lift each other up when, when we can. And somebody will be there for us when we need it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The collective wisdom and insight is just profound. Mm-hmm. Well, and likewise yours, Michelle. Thank you for uh, imparting all that you do. It's a gift. Thank you, Kevin. Amazing comments, everyone. Thanks, as always, for giving us such incredible responses to feed back to you and to learn from ourselves. You're welcome again to join the conversation. Find me on Facebook at Agent K Miller. And folks, if you got value, the best thing you can do for us to thank us is leave a review in iTunes and thank the guests that we had on it. They got, uh, they gave you great value. Uh, okay, coming up next, show 552, we bring you... Ben Hardy. He has a new book titled Willpower Doesn't Work. Folks, this is a really profound message. I mean, who has not gotten frustrated at their lack of willpower? We set goals, we have desires, we try to achieve things, and then we don't do what we want to do. We don't make it as far as we wanted to make make it. We wish we had more discipline and willpower. I mean, that is the hallmark, the foundation of personal development and self-help for the most part. Well, Ben takes a hard line and paradigm shifting view to say relying on willpower is the wrong perspective. It's the wrong way to go. What is the solution? Listen in and you'll hear it's mesmerizing really how he focuses in on how we can design our environment for success and no longer rely on our grit and willpower. Ben's the number one writer for medium.com and just a masterful writer and communicator. And it comes from research. This isn't just his opinion. You literally don't want to miss this show. Well, folks, till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.